for. The fact that that veil that once kept common men from the access to the, to the, to the throne has now been rent from top to bottom. And we now can enter into your throne of grace, the Holy of Holies, through a relationship with Jesus Christ. What a, what a powerful reminder that was. And I praise you, Lord, for, for all that's been done so far in the service. And I pray that as we open the word of God today, um, that, that you, Lord, would speak afresh and anew to our hearts. Have your way today. It's about, it's about your word speaking to us. And I pray that that would be made very clear. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's turn our Bibles to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9. And uh, when you find your place, when you find your place in Hebrews chapter 9, I'd like for you to stand as we give reverence to the Word of God. We're going to read this morning verses 1 through 15, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 15. The writer of Hebrews wrote, then indeed. Even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part, in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, or the holy of holies, or the most holy place, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant, overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. But into the second part of the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him perform the service perfect in regard to the conscience. Concerned only with the food and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation but christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is not of this creation not with the blood of goats and calves but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all having obtained eternal redemption For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling in the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. You may be seated. Now, we live in a day of restricted access, all right? And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, okay? I, I'm, I'm actually thankful for places that are secure. But, but to get into most places and to get into most businesses, to get, to get into uh, organizations and homes, you have to have special access. If you want to drive my car, or to get into my house the right way, 
You have to have keys to my car or to my house. No breaking and entering, okay? Uh, I, I went to a, a volleyball game for, for uh, Sweet Caroline the other day in the past week. And, and to get into the game, we had to have a ticket. You, you had to have a pass, all right? If you go to Sam's Club or you, go to, you, go to, you shop on Amazon or you go on Netflix, uh, you, need to, you need a membership to, to have access into all those places and all those domains, I've got a card in my wallet. It's a, it's a debit card. And, and with that card, I'm able to buy things. But there's a PIN number. There's a PIN number that you, not, you have to know in order to buy stuff. Uh, next year, uh, we got plans to go to Israel, if the Lord allows. And, and if I'm going to go overseas, i got to have a passport. All right? Or they're not going to let me get on an airplane and go to another country w- without, a, without a passport. Uh, if I travel to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, Northwest Washington. You know what that address is? That's the White House, okay? I'm not just going to roll up in there and say, I want to see the president. You know what? They're going to frisk me. They're going to ask me a bunch of questions. They're going to do a background check, and they're not going to let me in. I'm kidding. (laughs) It doesn't matter who I am. They're not going to let me in because of who I am, okay? I've got to have an appointment. I've got to have a good reason of going to that building. Otherwise, I'm not going to the Oval Office. My birthday is in seven days. I'm going to be 31 years old. I'm enjoying the 30s now. Last year it's hard to admit. Now I'm, I'm accepting it. Okay? Hopefully there are going to be presents and cards. Right? Right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and, and nobody's going to have access to those presents or cards but me. Because my name, Peter McDonald. It's going to be on that card or that present. You get the hint. My birthday's next week. Okay? All right. Uh, so, so restricted access. You've you got to have a key. You have to have a membership. You have to have a ticket, a PIN number, permission to go to certain places or you're not going in. Let me ask you this today. What gives you access to God? Is there a card? Is there a membership? Is there, is, there, is there a ticket? Is there a password? How, how do you gain access to God who is in heaven? The, the book of Hebrews answers that question, chapter 9. Uh, uh, the book of Hebrews was written to a, a, a group of first century Christian Jews, Christians, Jews, or Jews who wanted to be Christians, or, or vice versa. And, and as they followed Jesus, things got hard. Persecution was on the rise. They were, they were uh, in very real danger. And, and, and here's, the, here's the most dangerous thing. It wasn't that they were in trouble. It wasn't that they were being, uh, going through trials or persecution or hardship. The, the issue was the harder they followed Jesus and the more that the, the persecution rose, the easier it would have been for them to be tempted to go back to the life they once knew. Okay? They were living in dark days. And, and, and as Christianity began to spread in the first century... So did their haters. All right. And and, and many new Christians found themselves being tested in the faith. And and they were exposed to severe persecution. They were being physically assaulted. Uh, uh, Some haven't haven't tasted death yet, but some were being killed and, and cast into prison. Their homes were being robbed. Their livelihoods were on the line. I I want to stop at that thought for, for just a moment. And I, I don't know the right way to say it uh, but because, because I know I want to sound rude or harsh or discouraging today. I, I want to lift you up. But, but here's something I want to say. If your faith 
is being tested right now. Praise God for it. Okay, it's not a mistake. And if your relationship with Jesus is a struggle right now as you live in this world, that's a good thing. Okay, and if your relationship with Jesus, it brings about enemy opposition and his evil forces are fighting you and your soul to the bone, glory to God. Go to war with the devil because the victory is already yours in Christ Jesus. Now, on the other side, if your life is just easy all the time and there's no pressure, there's no hardships, there's no trials, there's no war being waged, there's no difficulties, there's a good chance there's very little living for Jesus happening in your life. And I'm not saying that in the Christian life there aren't periods of rest. I'm not saying that your circumstances are meant to be treacherous. But I find it hard to believe in a trouble-free Christianity. Okay, uh, Christianity, they want a savior, but no sacrifice. And, and people want a cross, but, but, no, they, but they want a crown, but no cross. They want eternal life, but they don't want to die daily. And, and because Jesus said, in this world you'll have tribulations, because the word of God calls us soldiers, soldiers fight, and he called us farmers, and farmers toil, and athletes contend, he called us laborers, laborers work. Our faith is supposed to be fought for. Our faith is supposed to be defended. We, we're supposed to go through hardships. Charles Spurgeon said it so, so well. No faith is so precious as that which lives and triumphs through adversity. Tested faith brings experience. You would never have believed your own weakness had you not needed to pass through trials. And you would have never known God's strength had his strength not been with you to carry you through the trial. I'm telling you, the older that I get and the longer that I live and serve as a pastor in the 21st century, American Christianity is something I'm getting so tired of. Because, because we, we say we follow Christ with our lips, but our, but our lives at times live opposite of that. It's evident in our language at times. It's evident in our choices. It's evident in our, in our pursuits, our priorities. It's evident in, in the things that we value and pleasure. It's evident in our time spent. It's evident in our worldviews. It's evident in our convictions. It's evident in our circles of influence. It's evident in our family. It's even evidence in the church. We belong to a, to a culture of counterfeit Christians who walk hand in hand with the world 90% of time and 10% with Jesus. And we wonder why youth and children aren't in love with Jesus as we like them to be. They have American Christianity to watch. And they have, they have them leading the way in Christ. We wonder why our lives are so unbalanced and chaotic, yet many can't recall in a day when they called on the Lord other than for a blessing or to use his name in vain. We wonder why people aren't as passionate about winning souls to Christ and making disciples and being a part of the one institution that will last for eternity, the church, yet we fill our days up with everything but godly things. Building a castle in the sand like faith instead of a house on a rock like faith. I don't know about you, but when I, when I read about the Hebrew Christians in the first century who were living in real adversity, who were contending for the faith, and they were clinging in their faith in Jesus Christ. When I read about them, I oftentimes see very little of myself in them. And I get this Holy Ghost conviction in my heart to repent of my unbelief 
of my apathy, of my excuses, my idolatry, my downright arrogance and pride, forever thinking that I have arrived in my faith in Jesus Christ. I've got a long ways to go. I don't know about you. I've got a long ways to go. Do you? I need to mature in my faith. When I was uh, much younger in the ministry, an associate pastor in the church, I was probably 21, 22 years old, and um, there was an older gentleman that he and I didn't have such a pleasurable experience together, you know, one afternoon uh, on a youth trip. And you could say that we were button heads over a few things. I still believe I was right, but it didn't matter. It's water under the bridge. It didn't matter then either. But he said something to me in the heat of the moment. He said something to me in the heat of our confrontation. And, and by the way, we reconciled as friends. We're friends today. Uh, but, but he said something that left me speechless, and, and, and I'll never forget it. He said this to me. He said, son, he called me young man. He said, you have a lot to learn and you have a lot of growing up to do. And he's right. When I look at the book of Hebrews and I see what they were going through in the faith, I understand. I have a lot of growing up to do, a lot to learn. Help me, Jesus. Now, let's get back to the sermon. In the book of Hebrews, these first century Christians, they were in a fight for the faith. And there was this temptation to go back to the Old Testament style of doing things. Okay, the, the old Jewish religion. The author of Hebrews, which is unknown, had quite the task ahead of him. And, and, and he was writing. Here's his challenge. He was writing to encourage, convince, exhort these believers to not turn their backs on Christ. To, to not go back to the faith that they once had, but to live in the faith they have now in Jesus. How, how could he do that? How would the author address these needs? Well, through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, he would write to them about how they should know that if they know Christ as Savior and Lord, Jesus is the bridge between their Jewish heritage and their Christianity. Jesus bridges the gap. Jesus is the Lord God of eternity. Uh, Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is God's final uh, revelation to man. Jesus is the one who, who, who fulfilled all of those Jewish ceremonial activities that paved the way for the Jewish Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah they waited for, they prayed for, they prophesied, they preached about. Jesus is the answer. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to get across to this audience is that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything Old Testament. He's the substance of your faith. And so the writer of Hebrews takes the time to write to these believers to strengthen them in their commitment to Christ. And he says to them, as you suffer in the Lord Jesus, as you go through difficult times of hardship and trials, hold fast in the faith. Don't turn back. You've decided to follow Jesus. Be faithful. Christ is your redemption, your reason, your reward. Jesus is greater. That is the central theme of the book of Hebrews. And so the author shares that Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than the priest. He is our high priest. Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. Jesus is the way to God. Jesus is our access into the Holy of Holies. And so in chapter 9, we're given the answer to that question. How do we have access to the Lord? The author of Hebrews shares that there was once a time where access to God was denied. There was only one person 
that could come before the Lord, and that was the high priest. One man had access to him on behalf of everybody else in, in the Israelite camp. That was the high priest. And the high priest, even then, he could only enter that door one time, so to speak, a year. He had to go through a veil into a place called the Holy of Holies. And that's where you would find the presence of the Lord. But access was denied in the past. Access was denied to all people but one person. The Holy of Holies, being in the presence of God like you are today, that couldn't happen back then. Not until Jesus came. I want to I share with you, just with the time we have left, two truths about the door to the Holy of Holies. We're in a series about the doors of Scripture, and I see here the door to the Holy of Holies. I want us to talk about two truths that we see here. Here's the first one. Without a relationship with Christ, I don't have access to God. Let that sink in. Without a relationship with Jesus Christ, I do not have access to God. The door to the Holy of Holies, it had limitations. It had limitations. We see that in verses nine, or chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. And, and, and I know what you did today. You opened your Bible, we started reading, you're like, what in the world are we reading about? We're reading about a tabernacle, and we're reading about furniture in the tabernacle. Hey, we live in the 21st century. There is no tabernacle. There is no, you know, there are no furniture pieces except for the offering plates and this table and this podium. What are we talking about? What are we talking about? Did you know there are 50 chapters at least in the Bible that deal with the tabernacle? Exodus 25 through 40, that's the place to look, okay? It gives you all those, all those uh, explanations. But the tabernacle was the sanctuary. It was a place of worship. It, it was a tent that was made by human hands. God designed it, but still man built it. It was pitched by men. And what they did is they, they would travel with it from place to place, wherever they were going in the days of the Exodus, and they were wandering around the, you know, the wilderness. They would take this tabernacle with them and the articles that went with it, and they would have to set this tabernacle up every day. I've got some pictures I want to show you of what the tabernacle looked like. That's the tabernacle, okay? Very, very simple. It was made of skins. It was portable. As it got older, it would need to be repaired, it had limitations, all right? Uh, it belonged to one group of people, not to everybody, okay? Not everybody could go into that area, just the Jewish people, just the Israelite people. But it, was, it could only be in one place, all right? And, and, and that's where it would be. But, but everything about it, everything about the tabernacle pointed people to Jesus Christ, from the fabric to the furniture to the food, all pointed to the Messiah, every bit of it. And there are three areas in the tabernacle. And I want to explain a few of them to you today. Okay? Uh, when you're on the outside of the tabernacle, there's the outer court area. Okay? I've got, I've got a picture of that. The outer, the outer court area. And, 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 this, and that's that, the outside area before you go into the actual tabernacle. But, but on the outside, there was this one single gate that would allow people uh, to, to go in of large masses to enter into the courtyard. What is that a picture of, that one gate? It's a picture of Jesus being the one way to God, right? But all these people would come in, and, and, they, would, and they, would, uh, they would make sacrifices outside of the tabernacle. And, and so, and so uh, there would be a, a brazen altar. You see that there in the, in the center? Uh, that's the brazen altar. And, and, and the brazen altar is where people would be able to make sacrifices for sins that they knew about. 
<laughs> All right, so, 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 that, that, so, so there will be a fire there in the altar. And by the way, God sent the fire. A man couldn't light a match and start it. God started a continual fire there in that, in that brazen altar. And, and, and so heavenly fire continually burnt for the sacrifices that were being made. And a guilty person could make sacrifices of animals to the Lord right there. Of course, the priest would uh, kill, kill the animal. They would kill the animal near the gate, and the priest would bring its blood and fat to the altar, and they would burn the fat on the altar, and they would pour the blood on the golden horns and around the altar. Well, what is the bronze altar a picture of? It's a picture of Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. Well, then there's a, there's a basin. Okay, there's a basin, the wash basin. Well, the priests would have to wash their hands in the basin. Sometimes they would wash their feet in the basins and, and, and because they were doing blood sacrifices. It's a pretty nasty, messy process because they were doing blood sacrifices. The priests would have to wash themselves before they ever went inside that tabernacle. And if they didn't, they could die. All right, serious business here. Okay, what is this a picture of the wash basin? It's a picture of Christ being the cleanser of our sins. Okay, he cleanses us daily, folks, if we come to him in repentance and forgiveness on a daily basis. But then we go further. As you go into the courtyard, you go into the tabernacle, and this is the place where the priest could enter. Common man, us, we couldn't go in there. Okay, only the priest could go into this first section of the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was 45 feet long. It was 15 feet high, 15 feet wide. And two-thirds of the area would be the first holy place. Only priests could go into the holy place. And inside that were three pieces of furniture, okay? Uh, the writer of Hebrews says he can't speak in detail about it. I understand that. We can for a moment because you need to know what's inside of this tabernacle. Okay, there are three pieces of furniture in the first section. There was a golden lampstand. And I've seen, I've seen the golden lampstand that the Jews have made for the new temple that will be erected at the time of the Antichrist. It is absolutely gorgeous. It's in thick, bulletproof glass. Okay, they're already prepared articles for the new temple. What, this is the lampstand. It had, it had seven, uh, seven branches, had almond blossoms at the top. The, the purest of olive oil would be poured into the lamp. And, 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 that, and that was the only light inside the tabernacle. Well, what do we get from that? Jesus is the light of the world. All right, there's another piece of furniture. On the right side of the room, there was a table. And on this table, there was showbread or sacred bread. There were 12 pieces of bread that were put on this table. And those 12 pieces were put on the table every Sabbath. And only the priest could eat that bread. And only the priest could eat that bread after the week had passed, after the work was done. But those 12 loaves of bread, they represent the 12, uh, the 12 tribes. They represent God's provision uh, for his people. Uh, they represent the communion that God had between uh, himself and them. And then in the center of the holy place, there was this altar of incense. And, 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 and the altar of incense, it was, it was a wooden piece, but it was overlaid with gold. And, and what the priests would do is they would take burning coals from the outside, from the outside altar and they'd bring those burning coals on the inside, and the smoke, the smoke would bring a fragrance, an aroma of worship to the Lord. And oftentimes that, that smoke would veil the priest 
between the presence of the Lord. And, and, they would, and they would pour blood from sacrifices on that altar of incense in case uh, when the priest had sinned, he could, he could pour blood into its base. This piece of furniture, all of them actually picture Christ. Everything inside the tabernacle, everything outside the tabernacle connects people with the reality, I need to be saved. I need a redeemer. Jesus is our filling. He's our sacred bread. Jesus is the one who feeds us every day by his word. The word isn't just our food. The word is also our light. And the oil that burns for the light of the spirit is the spirit of God who lights the world for us. The altar of incense reminds us that Jesus is our intercessor. He goes before on, our, on before our half, behalf before God, showing him that he's our perfect sacrifice and intercessor. And then there's one more section. There's one more section in the tabernacle, and that is the Holy of Holies, the most holy place. You see those beautiful drapes right there, that veil? Okay, that's what, that would separate the priest from the holy place, the most holy place. And, and you see there are two angels, or there's angels embroidered there on the veil that's that symbolic of the, the Garden of Eden and the angels, you know, protecting the Garden of Eden. This is a holy place. And one time a year, on the Day of Atonement, one time a year, the high priest, the chief priest, one man could enter that place and make a sacrifice for all the sins of the people, sins that had been forgotten about. You know, God doesn't reveal to us all the time all the things that are wrong with us. We've heard that in the past. There's sometimes we forget about sins. We think things we don't automatically ask for forgiveness for. God wanted everything to be covered. And so, and so the priest would make sacrifice for himself, but also, also for all the people so their sins could be forgiven for that time. But here's the thing. He had to do it year after year after year because none of those sacrifices would forgive the people for eternity. All right. Now, this was the only place, the Holy of Holies, this was the only place where God met man. And he only met with one man one time a year. As I said earlier, th this place, this tabernacle, it had limitations. The door of the Holy of Holies had serious limitations. The, the fact that men had no access to God, really, that should bother us. Regular priests could not get into the Holy of Holies. Only, only a high priest could do that. Regular people couldn't even get into the tabernacle. Uh, it's a sad image. It's a limited sanctuary. There, there's restricted access. Can you imagine? Okay, just imagine this. Coming to this place of worship this morning, all right, and the door being shut, and you not having any access into this sanctuary. You know, some of you wouldn't bother at all. You're like, okay, I'll just go home. You know, that's not a big deal. But what if the doors of this sanctuary, only a handful of people were allowed in, and you weren't one of them? How would, how would that hurt your heart? Okay, wouldn't that upset you? And what if inside this building, what if this was the only place on earth where you could be near the Lord, where you could meet with God? How devastating to think that you couldn't be near God at all. When we look at Hebrews 9, verses 6 through 7, it says, Now, when these things have been thus prepared, talking about all the things that were in the tabernacle, when these things have been prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing 
the services. Verse 7 says, but into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins, committing in ignorance. Do you know what this means? The high priest and the priest, they never stopped working. They were always ministering around the clock, week in and week out, that the priest would come and they would trim the wicks of the lamp. They would add oil. They'd put up the bread. They'd burn incense. They were going in and out of the holy place for sinful people, making sacrifices for the people. Day in, day out, over and over again, they served. And and, and what is sad is that with all the blood being shed, all the innocent life being taken, all the animals being sacrificed, it was never enough. Never enough. Sacrifices weren't enough. Sins weren't completely forgiven. That There would be sins that were remembered. Some sins were forgotten. Even with the Day of Atonement, that one day here that the high priest would make sacrifices for himself and all the people of Israel, it would be remembered on that day, but then forgotten about because they fall into sin again. This would only suffice for the day, folks. For the day. Because on the next day, people would come back to the tabernacle with more sins. And here we go again. More sacrifices being made. More work for the priest to be, to, to be done. More sins to be forgiven. Limited sanctuary. Made with human hands. Limited service, perpetual in nature, limited sacrifices, limited significance. In verses 8 through 10, the writer of Hebrews says this was all symbolic. You see in verse 9, it says it was symbolic for the present time in which both the gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him perform the sacrifice perfect in regard to the conscience. In other words, your guilt could never be taken away. The shame would still be there. Sure, you can make sacrifices for your sins. Sure, you you can make sacrifices at the altar. Sure, you could offer up things to the Lord. But your guilt would still be there. The shame would still be there. Forgiveness would happen on the outside, but not on the inside. A spiritual work would not happen. It was just a symbol the, worship could, the worshiper couldn't be cleared of his conscience. There's limited cleansing. There was no way to God's presence. You know what that tells us today? That without Christ, we don't have a Redeemer. Without Christ, we don't have hope. Without Christ, we don't have a Savior. Without Christ, we don't have a Messiah. We have no way to God. Without a perfect priest, a perfect sacrifice, operating under the covenant law perfectly, we have no relationship with God. We have no access to God. We are hopeless without Christ, folks. Limited. It's just a reminder today. If you're just thinking, I'm going to work my way into a relationship with God. I'm going to be good enough. It's just a reminder today. Our works will never save us. Hebrews 10, 11 says that the priests minister daily and they offer the same sacrifices repeatedly and they can never take away our sins. If our service and our works and our goodness and our works got us into heaven, why would we need Jesus? Why would we need a Savior? There would be no standard at all. You could just earn your way to God. But here's the fact. You can't work your way to God. I've tried it. And folks, we're not good at it. That's the point. We can't be saved. We can't be forgiven. We can't be cleansed by our own measure of goodness. The goodness we have is compared to a bloody minstrel rag in Isaiah 64. We don't have goodness. We break God's word every day. We break God's law on a daily basis. 
I don't even have time to argue with someone who says they're not a sinner because they're lying. In fact, the fact is, the fact that we have life outside of the Garden of Eden today, the fact that we have clothes on our back, as Sean preached about last week, the fact that we have speed limits, the fact that we have locks for our doors, the fact that we have jails and orphanages and funeral homes are reasons enough to believe we've got an eternal sin problem. We have severe limitations on us. We have no access to God, no cleansing from sin without Christ. I want to I end on a good note today. Okay, here's a second, a second truth. Through a relationship with Christ, through a relationship with Jesus, I do have access to God. I, I'm no longer limited. I have liberty because the door of the Holy of Holies today, because of Christ, wide open. Before we read verses 11 through 15, I want to I want you to think about the death of Jesus found in Luke 23, 44 through 47. Something amazing happened when Christ died on the cross. Scripture says, now it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness all over the earth until the ninth hour. The sun was darkened and, and, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. Isn't that cool? When Christ died on the cross, there in the temple, there was that veil, that same veil that kept man from God, that kept priests from God, that only the high priest could go in one time a year. That veil, some would estimate, I, this is not biblical fact, but some estimate that veil was four inches thick. The veil was torn. Matthew tells us the veil was torn from top to bottom, meaning God karate chopped that thing. What did he do? Gave us access into the holy of holies. And, 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 and scripture tells us Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Many people believe that's when he said in John 19, it is finished. And he said, Father, into, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And then that centurion, I love that centurion. When he saw all that had taken place, he said, surely this was the son of God. Verses 11 through 15. And chapter 9 of Hebrews says, Christ came, but Christ, I love that, talking about all the, all the meaningless rituals, all the, all the limited things that we were doing in worship. And it says, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Our works, folks, were not enough to liberate us. Christ's work liberates us. The old tabernacle, designed by God, built by man, it was just a tent. It was physical. I was reading in one of my commentaries about this fact, and this is just one man's thought, but I wanted to share it with you. He said, all of this business that we, we go about today trying to sweeten up our worship services with pictures and stained glass windows and candles and crosses and modern-day technology, it ministers, but it ministers to what is physical, Sure, it's nice to have buildings. Sure, it's nice to take care of this place because we deem it a place of worship. The services are, are wonderful here. But, but this is just a physical tabernacle. It's not heaven. Amen? It's not. 
But there's a real tabernacle that Hebrews 9 talks about. There's a real tabernacle, not made with human hands, but made with the Lord's, and it's called heaven. And, and he sits there on the throne, and we have access to it. There's a real high priest. His name is Jesus, who went to the cross and made the sacrifice himself. Better yet, gave himself as the sacrifice for our sins. And it was perfect. It was good. It was righteous. It was holy. It was accepted. And it was sufficient for our salvation. And because of what the great high priest did for us that day on the cross, Jesus offering himself as a sacrifice for our sins, we now have access to God all the time. We have entranceway into heaven all the time. And there's not a gate that's going to be closed. There's not a veil that's going to cover them up. We have access to Jesus, to the Lord, everywhere, anywhere, all the time. When Christ came and died on the cross for our sins by his own blood, he gave his life. He died for you and me. He gave his life. He entered into the holy place. And that holy place... It was none other than the Holy of Holies, eternity. And when he died, he paid for our sins with his own blood. Not the blood of a bull, not the blood of a goat, not the blood of an innocent lamb, but the blood of the perfect lamb of God sent from heaven to be our Savior. And that sacrifice was good forever. We have in Christ today eternal redemption. For those of you who struggle with the doctrine of Eternal security. Here you go. Verse 12 says, With his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. You cannot lose your salvation. God cannot lose you. Christ will not lose those. He's eternally redeemed. He cleansed all of our sins, all of them, past, present, future, in one moment, one sacrifice, one death for our salvation. And beloved, we have liberty today. The Holy of Holies is open because of Christ. I have access to God. I love Hebrews 10, 19 through 23 that says, Brethren, having boldness, we have boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. You can bank on your eternity today. God is faithful. We have boldness today to enter the holy of holies by the blood of Jesus. I'll close with this story. There, there was a young man. He came by church one night, and the, the lights of the church were being shut off, and the pastor was getting out. He was walking out the door, and he was going to his car. And, 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 and the young man comes to the pastor, and he says, Pastor, what do I have to do to be saved? And the pastor said, Sorry, son. It's too late. And the boy said, Oh, oh no. You mean it's too late because the services are over? And the pastor said, no, it's too late because the work has already been done. Everything that could be done for your salvation has already been done. And the pastor led the young man to Christ. Folks, the work has already been done. In and of ourselves, we are limited. Through Christ, we are liberated. Be thankful today that the veil that once separated man from God is now torn. 
We have access to God through Christ. And I'm asking you this all-important question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe when you come before God, you are coming into the holy of holies? That should change the way we worship. That should change the way we live our lives. That should change the way we witness. That should change our perspective on what we do here. When we come before God, we are coming before the holy of holies, the holy one, Christ Jesus. Through Christ Jesus, we have access to God. Let me pray with you today. Would you stand to your feet as we pray? Let's pray.